0: Thank you very much. Three bedrock rules of California insurance law govern this appeal. First, a court must interpret policy language as a reasonable layperson would. Second, insurance coverage must be interpreted broadly so as to afford the greatest possible protection to the policyholder. And third, a court's job is not to select what it thinks is the best interpretation of policy language. So long as coverage is available under any reasonable lay interpretation of a policy, an insurance company cannot escape liability. Those rules require reversal here. The parties in the courts, as this court observed this morning, have found competing interpretations of direct physical loss of or damage to property in the context of business interruption insurance, both before the COVID era and during the COVID era. You have travelers' view that physical loss or damage requires physical alteration to property even though the policy says loss or damage, and even though businesses buy this insurance to protect against the inability to use property to generate income. On the other side, you have Mudpie's view supported by cases that physical loss can mean dispossession or loss of use of tangible property that isn't physically damaged. That's fully supported by plain English case law and common sense. The issue here is not whether travelers narrow understanding of physical loss is a reasonable interpretation, although we do think there are strong reasons to doubt that it is. What matters under California law is that travelers cannot show and certainly not at the pleading stage that a reasonable layperson would have understood this language to have a singular meaning, especially when many reasonable jurists have found that the phrase physical loss of property does not require physical damage to property. Now, the California Supreme Court has never said that travelers no coverage reading is the only reasonable one in this context or in any other context, which is why, although we think this court should reverse, it actually makes more sense here to refer the question to the California Supreme Court. This is a novel question of state law that is hugely important to tens of thousands of businesses and certification would obviate uncertainty and expense. And it would avoid disarray, because if this court makes an early guess that state courts later disagree with, and we still do not have even a court of appeals decisions, although this court would not necessarily be bound by a court of appeals decision if it believes the California Supreme Court would decide it differently. But there is no harm, and certainly, Tremendous advantage to the parties and to the development of the law to have the California Supreme Court opine on these novel questions.
1: Wait a minute. When you say there's no harm, there's at a minimum a lot of delay. And we also have to consider the workload of the California Supreme Court. It's not an easy uh, calculation.
0: Right. It, it is not an easy calculation, but if delay were, were all that was sufficient to deny certification, you would never have certification because whenever you have well, certification- I appreciate that.
1: I'm just taking issue with your, your question that there, there is no harm. There's actually some pros and cons I think that we have to consider. I don't I don't mean to nitpick, but uh, we do have to think about that carefully because there can be significant delay. Um, what about the fact that there's a virus exclusion here and the district court it was briefed and the district court didn't reach it? Does that make this may be not the best case to certify?
0: No, it does not, Your Honor, because it strictly imposes uh, the legal question that the California Supreme Court has not opined on. And this court has certified questions to the California Supreme Court, even where there might be other, other issues of law present that might be developed later on in the case. That's not a bar to certification. And so it should not be a bar to certification. Here, the court can also, if it wants, certify uh, certify both questions. Uh, we do disagree. I, I, I,
1: I'm, a, I'm aware of that, but I think i think I didn't make my question clear. Should we reach the virus exclusion here? It was fully briefed. It's, it's a question of law, should we reach it?
0: No, we think you should certify the question on which the district court decided to the California Supreme Court. And the fact that there might be other additional questions and there will be. I imagine that later on in the proceedings, travelers will try to raise acts or decisions loss of use exclusion, other exclusions that it had waived in the trial court below, it will have other arguments to make. But that has never been preclusive of certification to the California Supreme Court. And on the issue of whether the California Supreme Court's own docket might be too busy, I mean, this court has always, when it believes certification is appropriate, allowed the California Supreme Court itself to make that determination about whether it believes that it should take the, the case. It's a two-step process.
2: So other than you want us to certify the case, is there any other reason that we shouldn't address the virus exclusion in this case? Because as just Judge Kristen points out, it seems to me a question of law.
0: Well, I'm happy to address why we believe it's not a question of law. You heard a lot of arguments about 10 different states. and our view, California law is different in certain respects. Its application of the efficient proximate cause doc- doctrine was developed precisely when insurers tried to use caused by or resulting from, essentially but for causation language, to sidestep the efficient proximate cause doctrine. Now you did talk a little earlier about how, isn't the virus what caused the government order? But the question under California's efficient proximate cause doctrine is not whether the virus caused the government order. The question is what's the most important cause of the property loss? And in our case, which concerns uh, a state stay-at-home order. The most important cause of the loss would be the state stay-at-home order, because we have not alleged that there was virus on the property. If the loss were instead caused by or resulting from a virus, Mud Pie would only be closed as long as it would take to disinfect the store and quarantine affected employees. But Mud Pie's loss is caused. The most important cause is arguably the state closure orders. And that has been- Well, the we problem have with pled- that argument,
2: it seems to me, is that the state didn't say, well, we just don't want mud pie operating, so we're gonna issue a closure order or a state home order. We don't want anybody in San Francisco to be out and about. There was a reason for that. And we can't ignore that fact.
0: There was a reason for that, Your Honor. But the question is, what is the most important cause of this specific property loss? And so it may be that ultimately before a jury, travelers prevails in convincing the jury that that's the most important cause. But I would point the court to Garvey because previously in Sabella, the way that California Supreme Court had understood uh, proximate cause is exactly how the court's been talking about it today. What's the first cause in the chain of events? What's, isn't that the most important, important cause? It set everything in motion. That was the law before with Sabella. Garvey rejected that, and it did so for two important reasons. It said you should not be thinking about these insurance cases in terms of tort principles. So a lot of the discussion today about how to think about efficient proximate cause was based on tort principles. But what Garvey says is there are substantial differences between property damage insurance and liability insurance, which implicates tort principles. And for that reason, Garvey said they rejected Sabella's conclusion that the moving cause is the most important cause. And they said that for public policy reasons, we're not going to ask specifically, and it's not going to be determinative, for example, in this case, that the virus caused the government order. Again, what would be determinative would be what's the most important cause of mubpai's loss. If the government order continued, Pie has never alleged that, that she had Uh, COVID on the property. And so there is nothing she can do to ameliorate uh, that theory of loss. The theory of loss has entirely, the most important theory is the government closure orders. If the government closure orders had lasted one day, for example, that would be the cause of her loss. And she could not then say that the cause of her loss was the virus, even though the virus persisted after that time. But ordinarily, whether a virus exclusion like this is the proximate cause of a loss, is a question of fact, particularly in this context, given the specific allegations about the nature of the loss here. The physical limitation on a use of space is the allegation that Mud Pie has presented as its theory of harm. And it's entitled to adjudicate that theory of harm and Mud Pie, to, uh, excuse me, travelers, to the extent that it wants to litigate the applicability of a virus exclusion, that triggers questions of fact. It's not an issue that can be decided at the motion to dismiss stage. This is a virus exclusion, not a pandemic exclusion. Some courts have refused, declined even to read virus exclusions as going so far as to as to approximating the pandemic conditions that may have given rise to mud pie's law. So that there's that separate consideration. But for those reasons, we think that our case and California law and the particular theory of harm here is different for why a virus exclusion might apply. If I can say if you Oh, sorry okay. judge Kristen. i don't
1: know what were you saying
0: oh i was going to turn turn to a uh, physical loss if, if that's okay unless the court has yes
1: any... please it's your time to use yeah. as you
0: choose Go ahead. okay thank you well our best case for physical loss in california is ward ward required that the losses be to tangible matter you didn't have that in ward because in ward there was intent, the court said that the loss was to intangible matter, which was data. The, lo- the court distinguished data from the computer which was holding the data, which it considered to be tangible. Here you have loss to tangible matter. As InRay Society explained, the orders imposed a f- physical limit on the businesses that limited them from using much of their physical space. MRI healthcare is distinguishable on our theory because in MRI healthcare, the court said any damage suffered by the MRI machine in that case in 2006 wasn't directly attributable to storms that had happened in 2005. What happened in that case was a landlord and not the storms caused the damage. The landlord operated the machine in a way and ramping up and ramping it down that caused a problem with the machine. It wasn't the storms. And so there was no external force there that had caused the insured uh, loss, it was an intentional act of the the landlord. And so that distinguishes the physicality here. Now, travelers characterizes our loss as purely financial, but that disregards that financial damages are not the alleged property loss here. They're alternative measures of physical loss. They're not tools to preclude finding physical loss. The Eighth Circuit's definition of physical just simply repeats the definition of damage and ignores the fact that many courts have reasonably concluded, and a layperson could reasonably find that physical loss does not require damage. And coverage under Mugpie's interpretation fully satisfies common sense, which is the approach that California takes to interpreting such language. And if you look at Hughes, if you look at Murray, if you look at US Airways and Elegant Massage. There are many cases in which courts have applied a common sense reading to physical loss, where there is dispossession, where the property cannot be used for its intended purpose, even though there is no physical damage to the property. That is is at least a reasonable reading that a layperson, who is not an expert in insurance could give the policy. And for that reason alone, the court should reverse, or it should at least be comforted that there is a possible chance that the California Supreme Court could decide the issue. Council, and... I,
2: I mean, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my head around um, the argument. I get the argument that direct physical loss could mean loss of use. Except for then we have MRI, and this is the language that I mean you've talked about, and we've talked about in other arguments this morning. I mean, MRI says direct physical loss contemplates an actual change in the property. So what actually changed in your client's property from the day before the stay at home orders were issued and the day after they were released?
0: What changed is that there was a physical limitation on the use of space. The space itself was being used as a store. It's covered property under the the coverage clause and it could no longer be used for its intended purpose that's precisely what business interruption but, I mean, is you're,
2: you're, that's circular right i mean that's the loss of use i get i understand that but the, um that's not what mri says mri says an actual change in the property and and the property looks the same before and after there's no hole in the wall there's no water damage there's no different air quality like the, the property is the same it's its characteristics are the same. There was a pause on the ability to be there, to function as a business, I get all of that. But the way that that the California courts have interpreted direct physical loss, it doesn't seem to leave open the possibility of simply a loss of use when the property is in the same condition before and after.
0: Well, we think it does because if you look at Hughes, if you look at uh, Murray, those are all cases that looked at instances where the property itself had not been physically damaged and the same thing happened in manpower there was property there
1: forgive me i stop you there because in hughes it seemed to me that i mean a house was unchanged but the but the court to redefine the definition of the insured property to include the land beneath it
0: That's correct, but the court also rejected and said common sense requires that the court to reject the insurers' arguments that merely because there was no physical damage to the walls, to the property, the house looked the same before and after, that there was no physical loss because the home could no longer be used as a home. I do think MRI healthcare, to the extent that it's talking about, some external force must have acted upon the property to cause a physical change. There was a physical change far as in-rate society explains, there was a physical limit on the use of space. You, she could no longer use the store for the, in, for the express purpose for which it was insured. And there is nothing unusual about a government order being the external force that acts upon the insured property. If you look at the, the mud pies coverage itself, it contemplates all sorts of scenarios and carves out scenarios where government acts or orders, for example, government seizures of property, may implicate uh, physical loss, even when there's no damage to that property. And so there's nothing unusual about a government order being an external cause of loss. And you also have to look at MRI healthcare in light of ward. And ward says that what physical means is that the losses have to be to tangible matter. And you have that here. You have a loss of tangible matter, the physical, limitation on the use of space that's sufficient at least to establish that a layperson could reasonably understand that her property that she was dispossessed of her property at least for some time and the fact that it's temporary and not permanent there is no requirement of permanency for loss in the policy loss is not merely defined as permanent and when courts have to read undefined terms they apply ordinary dictionary definitions in ordinary English. They do not interpose limitations, such as the one that the lower court did, in terms of applying an intervening physical force requirement or permanency, neither of which is apparent to a layperson on the face of the of the policy itself. Your Honor, unless you have any more questions, I'd like to reserve the balance of my time.
1: You bet. It looks like there aren't any questions at this point. Is that right, Judge Anello? You No questions at this right? point. Thanks. Okay. All right. We'll go ahead and hear from opposing counsel please, Mr. Richards.
3: Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the court, Theodore Boutras for Travelers. This court should affirm the district court's judgment dismissing this case because MudPie's property insurance policy does not ensure the purely economic losses that MudPie suffered as a result of Governor Newsom's stay at home orders, which were meant specifically and exclusively to stop the spread of the coronavirus. This result is compelled by the policy's clear unambiguous and explicit direct physical loss of or damage to property language. It's also compelled by the uniform decisions of the California appellate courts, including MRI Health and Ward and the Doyle case, uh, a plain reading of the policy as a whole, including its structure and its purpose and the fundamental nature of property insurance and the policies express virus exclusion and loss of use exclusion. This case really has it all in terms of the issues that the court has been uh, discussing this morning. Federal and state courts have dismissed literally hundreds. It's overwhelming in terms of the number of cases that have dismissed cases with identical or very similar language, including the Eighth Circuit last month in the um, oral surgeon's case. And um, to Judge Forrest, your question about um, certification in California courts, that by our count, there have been 90 dismissals in California state and federal courts. Uh, there have no California judge state or federal has found coverage under these sorts of policies. So it's 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 almost it's a remarkable degree of uniformity because the courts are interpreting this clear language, either the virus exclusion language that we have here or the direct uh, physical loss of, of or damage to property language so it's it's just very clear, and um, and so there's no reason to, to go to the California Supreme Court on these issues, and I'll I'll come back to that. But the the one thing can I, I wanted to ask a question
1: to, on that point before yes, you
3: Judge Kristen, sure,
1: about 90, and I think you've anticipated my question. Maybe do you know how many of them have have, have uh, relied on a virus exclusion?
3: Uh, Your Honor, I think I think I can get you that number. It's it's a fair amount. I think it's it's. Um, you know a significant amount I'll I'll see if I can just dig that up while I'm I think it is
1: too, and I don't mean to take you too much on a tangent maybe you have a helper I I certainly have a helper who can help me with that but I I think it's a pretty mixed bag if I could just take that as a a a premise so it seems to me it was it was it was briefed and not reached uh should we reach that question
3: we believe you should your honor it's very clear here and i'll see if i can get you the number but the exclusion is very broad it has you know caused by or resulting from language and um it's it clearly applies it's however we would define it um, if if the coronavirus here is not the efficient proximate cause if it's not the dominating cause of the shutdown orders and the losses that mud pie suffered nothing would be we all know that it's a it's a worldwide terrible phenomenon that's hurt us all. And so um, under any definition of proximate cause and counsel mentioned the Garvey case, the Garvey case is actually a great case for us because the Supreme Court of California wanted to avoid insured uh, ad- uh, advocating a rule that would nullify exclusions and it cited uh, the section 532 of the California insurance code. And I urge the court to go back and look at that that provision states that if a peril is specially accepted in a contract of insurance and there's a loss which would not have occurred but for such peril, such loss is thereby accepted even though the immediate cause of loss was a peril which was not accepted. It basically creates but for causation. And, and, And that's what we have here. Governor Newsom never would have issued those orders. It's not an independent cause like where you had in Garvey, Movement of Earth and a negligent contractor. This was a direct, an immediate reaction to the the coronavirus. Uh, And there's a virus exclusion for good reason because it would the exposure would be, as we've seen, just enormous, and these policies would be unaffordable.
1: The the reason Garvey's not a perfectly good case for you, although I I tend to agree that it It does talk about the predominant cause. and it is it's a terribly strong uh, case for you, I think. But but it is a splintered decision, right? There's a the chief justice's uh, view. There's, I think, three justices who joined, There's another justice who joins. He concurs, but um, really calls part of the decision wrong. he really took uh, exception to it. And then, of course, there's two separate dissents. So do you want to speak to that? Should I be concerned sure. about not certifying, given that that seems, uh, well, it is what it is, it's a split
3: no, no, Your Honor, I think that since Garvey, the California courts have uh, decided these issues many times, and we've cited the Mosley case, which um, is the, one of the most recent cases, 2020, that interpreted resulting from language, as we have here, and, it, and the Mosley court said the term resulting from is is uh, is California courts interpret it broadly. The term broadly links the factual situation with the events creating liability, connotes only a minimal causal connection or incidental relationship. It's, uh, it's synonymous with the origina- origination, growth or flow from the event. And here, we all know, I mean, as, a, as a matter of law, as a matter of common sense, which um, Mosley said should be, should be used, we know w- why The shutdown orders were issued, and and as as Mr. Muram mentioned, they don't contend that there was coronavirus on their property. They don't contend anything happened at their property. It's the government shutdown orders, and no one, no one could reasonably contend that those shutdown orders were not just part of the, the the consequences of the coronavirus, the the proximate consequences of the coronavirus, as w- were any limits on uh, Mudpie's ability to use its property. So I think it, it's just absolutely clear. It's the easiest route. I think it would be very helpful for the courts to have an, a decision decision from this court, just applying these bread and butter principles of California law to the to this the undisputed facts here. And what and about uh, the
1: what about the Hours, uh, many hours that we spent on the court this last winter with the blueprint and looking at the, the tiers, the color corded tiers, and some distances were essential and some were not, and so forth. You know, it was, it was a very complicated matrix. And so it strikes me that some retailers may be in a different position than others, right? If we really went down that path, and I'm concerned about a ruling that may be overly broad.
3: I think here, this is a very clean case because of the nature of the allegations, no allegation that coronavirus was on the premises. The virus exclusion is clear. It's also very big. It wasn't something that was hidden. It was on a single a single page. It was unambiguous, uh, it has the broadest language of resulting from and it was in t- a, a, a party would know that a pandemic and shutdown orders and consequences from the virus would not be covered under these circumstances. So I think this would be a very good case for the court to rule on that issue it would provide a uh, significant guidance. And it's just very clean on the, the allegations of this complaint. The um, other the other issue I, I wanted to uh, maybe I'll just finish off on the certification issue since I sort of went down that road and I know the court is trying to figure out what the, the right thing to do here is it would cause significant delay. The district courts and the state courts have been moving very quickly, really, when you think about it, to decide these issues, because the language is so clear. Um, But here, um, Mudpie filed in federal court, so it's in a particularly bad position to be urging that we now go to state court after they lost in the district court, and the issues are so clear. Travelers has a right to be in federal court under the Class Action Fairness Act. And the, the Second Circuit in the um, ballast case recently made that point that that strongly favors uh, keeping the issue in, in federal court. Here, the law is very clear. All it's plain language of the contract, the MRI case, the Ward case, talk about the how to interpret direct physical loss of or damage to property. Um, it's, it, it's, e- it's easy to predict how the California Supreme Court would resolve these issues, I respectfully submit. Um, as I mentioned, the, the trial courts in both the federal and state system, one after another, we're almost at 100 decisions, have come out the same way. Um, and it, it, this court does not certify, I've not seen a case where the court just certified a contractual interpretation case where the law was clear and the facts were undisputed to the California Supreme Court. Um, and then, as I think the court was was mentioning earlier, this the direct physical loss or damage issue would not resolve this case. We have the virus exclusion. We have the loss of use exc- exclusion. And Mr. Mura conceded that uh, this case would go on. Other cases will go on. Um, and, and that takes me to um, Well, one one other issue on that, Your Honors, the California Supreme Court knows about these cases. There was a motion to cert to transfer a case from the Court of Appeal to the California Supreme Court to get it to resolve these issues faster and it declined. So I think it's letting the cases percolate. Um, So for for all those reasons, we think certification would not be appropriate. And the one issue I thought I could add to the discussion, because you've covered a lot of ground already, is to step back and talk about what these policies what travelers policies but it's very similar to others actually does and I think it's dispositive even if you found that there could be a direct physical uh uh, damage or loss due to a coronavirus it still wouldn't resolve the case on on page 25 of our our brief we had a little flow chart and we laid out how the policy actually functions and it's undisputed that that Mudpie would have to to, uh... show that four things had happened and in the following sequence first they'd have to show that there was a covered cause of loss which the policy explicitly defines as risks of direct physical loss so that's the first thing they haven't done that then they would have to show that the direct phys- that that caused a direct physical loss of or damage to property and we agree that theft of the property uh, would, would would satisfy. We're not saying that it only has to be damage, physical damage to the property. Theft would qualify, but physical harm to property. These, the, the Doyle case said, keep in mind, this is an insurance policy c- protecting against property damage is protecting the property. So they need to show that the covered cost of loss, say a fire caused this physical damage. And they would have to show that that physical Direct physical loss of or damage to property caused the suspension of business operations and that they would be able to recover under the policy explicitly the only expenses would be the the expenses during that period where they were restoring the property this is the explicit language of the policy rebuilding replacing or repairing the property that's what this policy is for it's not a broad business interruption policy is uh, mud pie argues that those words never appear in the policy um and here Mudpie has it exactly backwards they're arguing that governor newsom's suspension of their business operations caused the loss of use of property which they're trying to shoehorn into uh, direct physical loss of or damage to property uh, and that caused them lost business expenses they don't contend that they've had to do what the policy is covering, which is repair, replace, uh, and and uh, restore the property because nothing happened to it. Their property is still there. It hasn't been damaged. It hasn't been lost. Um, And so if you look at the sequencing and and California courts look at the policy as a whole, and the other parts of the policy as Judge Tiger did. You just cannot say that this policy, any reasonable person uh, would have interpreted the policy to apply here where there's no physical, yes, yes, your honor. I'm
1: sorry, Mr. Petrus. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but now I have, so so excuse me. Um, but but I, I'm not sure that I go that far. It seems to me that there could be circumstances in another case, let's just take a hypothetical where there's an allegation that the premises was contaminated, if I can use that word, with the virus and everybody out for a week to, to clean or de- decontaminate or something. Um, that could happen and I'm not sure that wouldn't constitute a dispossession.
3: Your Honor, it's a, it's a very interesting question. We agree with um, what uh, counsel in the last case said that I think that would be different. But assume that it was. Judge Tigar said he would have looked at this case differently under those circumstances. But it would be a much different claim. And in fact, it's the exact claim that Mr. Vero said they would not—they're not making here. Because here's how it would work under my little flow chart. They would claim that a covered cause of loss was the—I'm going to make their argument for them. I'm not agreeing with it, but just assume that someone made this claim that. The, the virus is something physical. People came in and their their the virus was in their property. They had to close their business operations for three hours to disinfect, and then they reopened. One, they could argue, they don't make this argument here, that they should, in fact, he, Mr. Murrow disc, disclaimed it and said they're not making this argument. Who would make that argument? But they could argue that they were entitled to their um, lost business expenses and, and business losses during that period where. The alleged direct physical damage uh, to property caused them to suspend their business operations, uh, and they lost, they had to close down for a little. That's what the policies intended to uh, to cover.
1: Right. So early on in the in the virus, some folks closed down, and they closed down for two weeks. Right. They were there. were they, they, that was a period of time where the virus was viewed differently. They thought they had to you know wipe everything down and disinfect and and, and be gone for two weeks because well, never mind the because. Um, so again, not this case, but it sounds like you're saying we shouldn't reach. Like you, you've made that point clear. I'm just not sure that would really be excluded, or it certainly wouldn't. It wouldn't land the same way on your
2: flowchart.
3: My it, it,
1: comment earlier about a, a narrowly tailored ruling, because so many people would be affected by this
3: your honor yeah we're just asking the court to rule on the the undisputed allegations in this claim. but in under my flow chart the 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 next part of the flow would be the virus exclusion so under our case the virus exclusion would exclude those claims that i that i outlined that someone could theoretically have um and i think something like 308 decisions had um i've got the at least a statistic for you <laughs> um virus exclusions and and yeah, it's it's for good reason i mean that the amicus briefs it filed in support of travelers i think does a good job of just explaining from a practical standpoint the explosion of exposure how a pandemic you just can't evaluate the risks it's just it's beyond the capability to to predict what the risks will be and that's not just bad for insurers it's bad for policyholders it's it's in california we have trouble with wildfire insurance we have trouble and, and and if you don't respect the the language of the policy um, and what was actually covered by the policy and intended to be covered and excluded, it could it could damage severely everybody's insurance for fire, for flood, for any for other um, risks. And so that's why I think it's just very important to to stick with the language of the policy as the California courts instruct and it's just very clear that here the language was not intended to cover the circumstances outlined. By uh, by Mudpie, I I made a list so the language is clear, but Mud pie is arguing that the court should read a, a whole catalog of words into the policy. They talk about an all-risk policy. It doesn't say all-risk. It's risks of dir- uh, direct physical loss. They they say over and over business interruption. That's not what this policy is. This is a property insurance claim that allows for uh, collateral um, recovery of losses and expenses where the physical loss or damage caused them to have to suspend their business to fix it. Um, they talked, Mr. Muir talked about physical limitation on use of space. That would be a very different policy. Those words are not in the policy. Physical limit, that's not in the policy. So um, in, in addition, um, I sh- I, in terms of looking at the policy of the whole, I mentioned the loss exclusion. Uh, there's all in the virus exclusion. And I think just for interpretive purposes, there's also an ordinance exclusion, ordinance and law exclusion on page ER 136, which tells us that an ordinance or law, at least we don't, we're not making that argument explicitly right now, but interpreting what happened here, uh, one could say, well, the stay at home orders are not covered causes of loss. Um, they're certainly not direct and physical um, and so, I think there are all sorts of interpretive reasons why uh, the the argument that Mont Pyle is making it, it it does gymnastics with language, which uh, and and twists the language and asks this court to read into the policies, very clear language words and concepts and and coverages that just don't exist. And I wanted to exi- address the the Ward case, which. Actually takes me back to help. Helpfully takes me back to my flow chart because if the Ward case is the best case, as Mr. Miro said, that they have, that proves our point because Ward emphasized again the need for physical loss, uh, physical damage, uh, and the word court made the point I just made about the flow, flow chart on page 554 and 555. The court said the suspension of business must be caused by direct physical loss of or damage to property at the premises described by the declarations. That's my point. They they do not contend that the suspensions were caused by that. They say the reverse. They say that the suspensions ordered by Governor Newsom caused what they claim to be uh, f- physical loss of use of the property. So it just does not fit within the policy's language, and so the Ward case is a very, very uh, supportive case for our position here. And and the court, um, again, talked about the, the fact that policy arguments, which uh, Mr. Murrow started with about broad interpretations and, and like can't change the plain language of the policy, even where they're very sympathetic facts. And and uh, and something something terrible has happened to everybody around the world. Um, the Hughes case, I think, Judge Kristen, you you already hit the nail on the head again. If that's not physical damage, the court held the property underlying the house is part of the, the house, and when that was torn out by a landslide and the and the house was hanging by a thread over a cliff, that qualified as physical damage to the property. That's really a far cry from this situation where there's no damage to the property alleged, there's no loss of property, all the inventory is still there at Mud Pie Store, um, and from a common sense language, no one would say that I don't think, I think it would be unreasonable to argue that if the road to my business was blocked for some reason, that I had lost my business, you'd say there was a rock in the street, and I couldn't get through you wouldn't say I lost my business, or I lost my property. Uh, So uh, for all those reasons, um, we think the court should affirm, Judge Tiger, I see my time is, is, uh, is up, and I'm happy to answer any other questions.
1: Janela, do you have a question? No questions. Thanks forest no. i have a question that i like both counsel to argue because i found myself uh i'll try to do this quickly but it was peculiar for me because i found myself putting down the briefs and going back to the policy again and again uh trying to figure out wait a minute i thought i understood what this policy covered and then let's see a different representation of what does this poli- what is the property that's covered by this policy it's represented in different ways in different places i think the reason um is that uh in addition to the fact that you're both uh, very strong advocates, is that California has this rule uh, about interpreting policies the way a lay person would? I think that's what opposing counsel is going to say, Mr. Boutros. Yeah, um, uh, he will be able to speak for himself here just shortly, but um, I'd like to hear your view of what the policy does cover. What is the covered property? And um, am I right in reading between the lines that plaintiffs argue uh, differently or argue the way they argue because of California's views?
3: Your Honor, California law, um, first, it holds that you know, general principles of contract apply. And that as, as ordinary in California, you use the ordinary popular sense of words unless they're used as terms of art. So th- that isn't anything unusual. And in fact, MRI and Ward and all these cases I've been citing make that exactly exact point. So the rules don't change because it's an insurance contract. The only time the rules shift a bit is when there is an ambiguity And as I mentioned, Ward and and MRI, these cases say, courts are not to strain to find an ambiguity just because you're in the insurance context. And it's only when, if there is an ambiguity, then the next step is you don't jump to interpreting the uh, contract against the insurer. You don't suddenly go with reasonable expectations of a layperson. You look at the context of the words, the surrounding words, the structure of the policy, as I outlined with you know the the various pieces of the policy the restore language direct physical loss of or damage to property the structure that the various trigger points and and, de- and determine the meaning of the policy it's only if you cannot decide what that means that then the reasonable expectations analysis um, is triggered uh, mud pie has tried to jump right to that and have has tried to claim that there's just this what would a reasonable insured think and on one final point on that, I don't think a reasonable insured who looked at the policy terms that I outlined could think that this was some broad business interruption uh policy that covered economic losses disconnected from actual physical tangible damage to property or loss of property um through theft or other means.
1: Does property um, include inventory and equipment?
3: yes. Yes, a property at the premises. So here for mud pie, the clothing, the the toys, all the things that probably are covered. So if a fire burned them or if someone came in and stole them, um, then they would be they would be covered under the the, the policy.
1: Sometimes, you're, I think it's your brief, but in a way between the briefs, sometimes they describe it as property at the premises and the, and the, and the policy does, and sometimes it includes the storefront. It's
3: it, very- yep, and, and, and sometimes it depends if it's a tenant um, or if it's the the owner of the property um but you're protected uh, you're covered for these traditional physical intrusions and and harmful agents that damage property or that can cause a total loss or that can deprive you of your property
1: right and the property includes the storefront yes the premise is not just the contents C- correct good okay i appreciate that clarification i've taken you way over i appreciate your patience thank you uh, thank you
0: Thank you, Your Honor. Yes. If I may, I, I wanted to start with the flow chart because I think the California interpretive standard here that you have to look at at the policy as a reasonable lay person would, shows that if, if you need a flow chart created by lawyers to understand how a single sentence should be interpreted, then it's not a, a plain and un, unambiguous uh, sentence. It's a very complicated sentence that could have different meanings and surely, if you look at Ward, Ward analyzed the coverage cause of loss exactly as we have analyzed it. A risk of direct physical loss is just direct physical loss that is not excluded. All the coverage cause language is doing is it's incorporating exclusions. So you have to do two things. Once there's a presumption of coverage under struggle for all for all loss or damage and an all-risk policy, which this is. And then it's the insurer's obligation to show that the losses were approximately caused by an an excluded risk. Now, the orders did not suspend business here. It was a public health order that limited gatherings. And so in that sense, it did place a limitation on how physical space could be used. This policy, business income and extra expense policy, it's not just a property insurance policy. It's a comprehensive business owner's policy that includes coverage, which uh, MudPay pays substantial premiums for, for business income and extra expense losses, which covers the storefronts and is precisely uh, met when business income losses are occasioned by the unavailability of the covered property, which we have alleged. Now, Travelers never explains how, if physical loss always requires physical alteration, physical loss could ever mean anything but physical damage. Its only explanation is theft. But if you look at Universal Savings Bank, which is an unpublished California Court of Appeals decision, that court rejected a definition of direct physical loss that is limited to theft. The court said, no, direct physical loss is not limited to theft. You look at the undefined terms using dictionaries, using ordinary English, and you think about those terms the way a layperson would. Now turning to causation, Uh, Mr. Boutros argued that the standard really is but for causation, that they can meet but for causation in a tort sense. But Howell and Garvey rejected but for causation. That's the entire point of efficient proximate cause in the context of property insurance. So it would be a mistake to conclude as a matter of law that there's but for causation here simply because the virus Caused the government orders the question is what's the
1: council could you give me your best take your best shot at a uh, uh, best statement of why the vi- this is the, the, the predominant cause of the loss here is not the virus
0: the reason why the government orders which impose physical limitations on the use of space and not the virus is the predominant cause of loss is because mugpie will be closed and have these physical limitations on its use of space. For however long those government orders are in place, there is nothing Mudpie can do in terms of cleaning the property, because Mudpie has not ascribed the loss, and the loss is the predominant cause of, of her loss as alleged is not the virus. It's the it's the government order that physically limits the use of space. Her claim.
1: And on that point, can I, if I could quickly, if I could quickly, on that point, there's of course a series of government orders, and. and our court has entertained many iterations of that. Is your uh, claim premised on the first one? Yes,
0: our complaint was never amended. It's premised on the first one, which was the most stringent one in terms of limiting the physical use of space. I think if the California Supreme Court were to answer that question, it would provide substantial guidance to all the parties for all the other permutations of the government orders um, because the government orders were changed over time. And in fact, Efficient proximate cause in novel circumstances does sometimes engender disagreements on the California Supreme Court. Garvey's an excellent example of that, which is precisely why the court should, if it's thinking about deciding that as a matter of law in this case, should consider certifying that question as well. It can also simply certify the coverage question and then later on in the case, those other issues can be addressed. Now. We were criticized for filing a better court. So your
1: you're, you're overtime, let me just check. Do, do either of my uh, colleagues have a question you want
0: to ask, just to be sure I think you just answered it but on the certification question you you've you've asked in this case that only the physical loss or damage provision be certified that issue right so uh, I think the law is clear that in order to certify a question, it needs to become, it needs to be outcome determinative, right? We we have to think that it's going to be outcome determinative in a California Supreme Court, but how could it be outcome determinative here when we've got this virus exclusion, which seems to be clear, and these other exclusions that counsel argued, which also seem to be clear? Your honor, the standard is whether it's outcome determinative of the appeal, not whether it's outcome determinative of the case and so there may be other issues of course nothing although we did only ask to certify that question nothing precludes the court from certifying both questions if it thinks that would be more efficient and traveler simply wants this court to affirm before the california supreme court might decide this issue but it's quintessentially a state law issue on which m- at minimum reasonable laypersons could disagree and if the court were to affirm and later california courts were to reach a disagreement. That would cause disarray, and it would and it would prejudice the many individuals who sued under the first closure order, unless the court this has is any a, questions. It's a
1: tough argument for you to make, and I say this as I'm a former member of the state Supreme Court. When I was there, I really thought that was our job. I never said no to a certification question. really thought that was very important, but Mr. Boutros makes a good point. You, know, you did file suit in federal court, and you were not successful in the district court, and now you want us to certify?
0: Well, Your Honor, Travelers has removed every single case filed in state courts. Travelers is a diverse party. We did, not have the authority, we did not have the right to remain in state court in this case. And there is no certification option at the district court level. We had to wait until we were before the circuit level. But again, the Class Action Fairness Act does nothing. And no court has said that the Class Action Fairness Act precludes certification on quintessentially state law issues which this is, so there is no legal impediments to, to certifying this question. We, we but took three,
1: five, uh, Mr. Boutreau substantially over time, but could you take another 30 seconds or so to wrap
0: up? Yes, Your Honor. Our, the last point we want to make is that Travelers, the courts have not re- been uniform in addressing the question of coverage. And so Travelers simply wants this court to affirm before any California Court of Appeals or the California Supreme Court might decide this issue. It's quintessentially a state law issue. Insurance has always been quintessentially a state law issue. This is a novel question. The California Supreme Court has never said that travelers no coverage understanding of physical loss or damage is the only reasonable reading of that that coverage clause. And many state courts and federal courts have reached contrary conclusions, including in the COVID era. So at a minimum, a reasonable layperson applying California standards, a reasonable layperson could disagree and a reasonable layperson could also find that the government closure orders were the most important cause of mud pie's loss based on the nature of the allegations of the loss. And the fact that Mudpie has alleged there what that is a good fact for Mudpie that there wasn't COVID on the property that Mudpie has alleged that her closures were caused by public health orders that prohibited people from gathering in places that was a limitation on the use of space and that suffices at least arguably for physical
1: loss. Thank you, Council. We've taken you both well over your time. We <laughs> appreciate your patience with all of our questions very much. Your arguments and preparation is always very very helpful. We'll go ahead and take this under advisement, please. And we're going to take a quick break before coming back for the last uh, case on our calendar.
3: Thank you. Thank you.